Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second ever. I nearly went for the first ever then, but uh, I do remember doing this before. So second ever Digital After Dark that we've done. Um, okay, before we start the show, we wanted to share a couple of the words from our sponsors who are really going out of their way to support today's show. Uh, let's hear from them now. Hello, I'm Angela Dimarakis. I'm the head of FinTech at Radar Payments. FinTechs want to grow fast. They want to scale fast while traditional banks and financial institutions are trying to focus on expanding their customer base by outsourcing to cloud-based solution providers. Radar Payments offers our well-proven, scalable and robust platform to both fintechs and uh, financial institutions. We offer it as a, under various commercial models, including a pay-as-you-go model, which is mostly geared for fintechs to reduce the need for higher upfront investments. We hope you enjoy the event. Come and see us at a networking event and we hope to speak to you later. Hi, I'm Joe Blumenau, Identity Futurist at MyTech Systems. It's hard to believe the festive season's back already in a year unlike any other. It's also been a year where we've been able to build out our relationship with 11FS and with the FinTech Insider. And as we've shifted to online everything, we've been working closely with our clients to help them onboard those wanting to open a bank account or access governmental services or go online for some shopping and at the same time preventing them from fraud. We've introduced new technologies like NFC to build better, faster, more reliable solutions for banking grade identity verification. And I'm really looking forward to uh, continuing our conversations during the After Dark sessions today. I also want to invite you to the sessions that I'll be joining. And uh, from everybody at MyTech, I want to wish you a very safe, but above all, fun, festive season. and welcome to Fintech Insider After Dark. My name is David Breer and today I'm joined, albeit virtually of course, uh, by my colleague and in fact my opponent today, Mr. Simon Taylor. How's it going, Simon? I'm really, really well, thank you. I'm looking forward to spreading some love um, and having the best possible debate. Uh, how are you doing? Pretty good. I mean, in this sort of global pandemic space, then uh, spreading love is much better than the alternative, I guess, at that stage, isn't it? But uh, I noticed, I mean, you're in our office, aren't you? This is like London going into tier three. You're like the last person in London. Make sure like, it's going to be some sort of Cinderella type thing. We need to get you home before midnight, don't we? It's like a weird movie situation at the moment. But yeah, I had to do it. I had to sort out a couple of things, but uh, excited to be spreading the love um, and nothing else. Indeed. I feel like that's a T-shirt slogan, isn't it? Spread love, not pandemics. But anyway, anyway, well, let's let's move on. Uh, this is our second Digital After Dark. And based on the success of the amazing engagement that we had uh, on the last one, well, we decided not to quit while we were ahead, but let's give it a go and see if we can make this happen again. Uh, and based on the numbers of viewers so far, and, and I'm sure the engagement that we'll see uh, will definitely do that, which is good. Uh, in today's show, we're going to be uh, talking all about buy now, pay later products. These sorts of offerings really have exploded in recent years with big players taking over the e-commerce landscape and much more. However, there is a, a bit of a strong debate in this landscape with discussions around transparency, long-term implication, transparency around marketing, uh, and a few other things that we'll kind of get into as well. T today, we brought in some of the brightest minds in the industry to join us for this debate. Uh, the format of the show is going to be uh, a debate style with Simon and I as team captains for each side. Uh, before we get into this, though, we want to mention that although this is a hot topic and all of the views on this will be entertaining and good fun, that today's show is a bit dramatized. Um, often I get told off for being dramatized, but today it's actually an advantage in terms of this show. So uh, uh, actually they won't necessarily represent each speaker's actual view, but we'll be picking roles for the sake of just making it fun, basically. Um, today's content and opinions are partly dramatized to heighten the sake of discussion. Anyway, as you can imagine, this is uh, and can get a bit messy. So to keep us on track and keep the conversation pretty civilized, I mean, Simon, 
we're pretty civilized, aren't we? But uh, we can't speak for the guests so far. So let's uh, see where we where we get to. Uh, but we're going to be joined by an amazing moderator on this one. So hold on to your hats, guys, uh, because this is going to be one serious introduction, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, she is a non-executive director, advisor, and serial fintech entrepreneur. She launched Times Money Mentor, a new business for News UK, the and the Times. She was former CEO and boardroom advisor to Arnold Schwarzenegger on the US Apprentice. So she's you know pretty good with dealing with scrap which is great. Uh, she is a non-executive director of National IFA Network, IWP, and advanced technology company, Creative Mass. She's an advisor to the government on 10 years strategy to improve UK financial well-being and provides oversight for the fundraising pensions assets for the communal welfare in Europe. And I'll be honest with you, every time I see on the turn on the TV, she is also the go-to business expert on ITV's Good Morning Britain and Sky News. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Gemma Godfrey. How are you doing, Gemma? Uh, good, thank you. I think that all of everything I've done in my career so far pales in significance to today. Today is a career highlight and it's certainly going to be tough. It is all, all leading up to this, wasn't it? Quite frankly, I mean, all of the the Schwarzenegger stuff, the like, it's all about this, isn't it? After dark, you've made it now. David's going to need to get to the chopper soon because uh, <laughs> the, the love is coming. <laughs> all right. On that note, Gemma, I'm handing over hosting duty to you. Uh, we're in your good hands. All right, guys. Well, the debate's going to consist of four rounds, and they are as follows. What counts as debt? I love that one. Marketing, the battle of the checkout, and the fire round. So everyone needs to pay attention. This is going to be really good. So after each round, we're going to ask you, the audience, so everyone's participating here, um, to vote for which team you think delivered the best arguments. So pay attention here. Hit a thumbs up if you think team love, and a thumbs down if you think team hate. But before we get into the debate, I want to give David and Simon a chance to really get you going and to give their overall opinion of buy now, pay later products. Starting with you, Simon, for Team Love. Go. Love it. Um, well, Team Love is all about spreading the love and turns out that debt has a really bad name, but can be a really, really beautiful thing. Um, and I think what the opposing team will do today is try and put debt as a concept on trial. But the idea of debt is that you can get somewhere further ahead in life. You can start a business, you can have an opportunity and you can solve problems. The worst form of debt, to my mind, has probably been credit cards. That is a business model that has monetized misery. It deals with subprime lenders and tricks them into long-term debt that they can't afford that becomes very unaffordable. Buy Now, Pay Later makes consumers be in control. It really charges the merchant, the person you're buying from, rather than charging you. So if you can have something that you want and you can pay for it for 0% over four months, that's in your interests. Most of their customers are prime customers. They're not subprime. They're not targeting the weak. They're not targeting the people who need the education side. This is something really, really interesting that gets missed. Higher ticket, higher opportunities, get stuff you want, manage delivery risk. And we're out of time. That's brilliant. I think monetize misery. That is to go on T-shirts. Well done. So thank you, Simon. Now, now we're going to go to David for Team Hate. Uh, 60 seconds, starting on the clock. Now, go. Okay, okay. So buy now, pay later is not evil. I don't think debt is evil. I mean, in the right hands, any weapon is good. But like a gun in the wrong hands, I think that can be reasonably problematic. And it has been in the industry today. Um, today, I mean, sadly, there is just a total lack of regulation, meaning crucially, you really have no rights in the UK to go to the financial services ombudsman in the event of disputes, which there are many of. Um, on a more moral basis, I think buy now, pay later in a digital format just reduces the friction and mental commitment that purchasers overall have. Now, this is encouraging people to spend and then save rather than actually be in a situation where they're doing it the other, the other way around. And we shouldn't forget really that buy now, pay later is interest-free because they're so successful encouraging people to spend more. That cannot be a good thing. Um, it's not a small industry. This is a big industry. And actually, I think my view isn't should we, that we should ban it. It's just the fact that we should be in a situation where we're regulating it much closer. Um, bang on time as well. Thank you very much. That was a very good summary. So, Simon, um, it's time for you to reveal your teammate. Would you like to introduce them for Team Love? Absolutely would. Well, my goodness, what a teammate I have. I have the one and only Ali Patterson. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing very, uh, very good at the moment, Simon. Very, uh, very pleased to be here. Team, team Love for the win. 
I'm, I'm a bit bit upset though because I, I was gonna I was admiring David's shoe collection and I thought I'm gonna go and buy myself a nice pair of uh, of, of Nike shoes, but I, I, I couldn't afford it. They were really expensive and like the shoes that arrived like in the mail were just like. They're, they're pretty flimsy. I don't know how long it's going to last, but you know, I'll 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 I'll, I'll keep wearing them. Hopefully, it'll last last a while. But I wish I could have, I wish I could have brought one of those fancy, really nice kind of you know, Nike branded, really well put together shoes. But I just had to settle for something a bit a, a bit less high quality. And what if you could have sent it back? Thirty days, no no worries, no guarantees. Uh, it would have just been so so much better. Is this, a, is this an advert now? Or? Yeah, I think we're going to have to draw a line under that. Absolutely. It's getting angry here, so let's just move on. So, David, would you like to introduce your teammate for Team Hate? Because I feel like the hate is building already. <laughs> the hate for the team, not buy now, pay later, right? Like, so, uh, all right. Uh, sure, joining me uh, on Team Hate. I, I feel like Team Hate needs a rebrand, really. We're, uh, we're the love of good responsibility and lending. That's what we are. Um, joining me on the team today, we have Sharon Kamathi. How are you doing today, Sharon? I'm really good. I'm good, thank you. How are you? Pretty good. You all fired up for the debate today? Oh, yes. I am ready to go. And yeah, you're absolutely right. It's not really team hate. It's more like team responsible uh, credit use, if you will. Um, But yeah, don't hate the player, people. Hate the game, okay? (laughs) Again, I love it. Great for a t-shirt. So now we've got all the team members here. Um, we're going to just start with a little bit of an intro. So the first recognisable credit card emerged in 1950. I didn't realise that when Diners Club released a card that allowed consumers to delay payments until the end of the month. And in 1958, Bank of America launched the credit line. And this was a big hit. Fortunately or unfortunately, we'll seem to be seen. During the 2008 financial crisis, attitudes changed, especially amongst millennials who've seen their families suffer through the recession with only 33% of millennials using credit cards in 2016. Some consumers can worry about being judged for having credit card debt. And since the birth of BNPL uh, products, there has been an even stronger decline in the interest in credit cards amongst younger generations. So in this round, we're going to debate what actually counts as debt. First up, supporting Team Love. We have Alex Marsh, country lead for Klarna UK. For a number of years now, we've seen a shift in customer preference from credit cards to both debit cards and also buy now, pay later payment methods. That shift started with millennials who were growing up and becoming adults during the 2008 financial crisis and had first-hand experience of the downsides of racking up unsustainable credit card debt. When we speak to those consumers, they prefer our pay later products because they're tied to a specific purchase. And in the case of Klarna, they have no interest and no fees. They also come with a transparent and structured repayment schedule, helping them manage their finances by breaking up that purchase into smaller manageable amounts. When I think about a Klarna customer, the best customer we have is a customer who is able to pay back in full on time. When I think about credit card providers, their most profitable customers are actually those who miss payments and in the end accrue both interest and late fees. And when we think about that shift, actually that shift may have started with millennials, but as an awareness of, has grown, we're seeing that across all age demographics. So if I look back on the past year at Klarna, our fastest growing age demographic was actually Gen X, 40 to 54 year olds. Great. Well, next up, supporting Team Hate, we have Justin Bassini, co-founder and CEO of ClearScore. Debt is pretty simple, actually. It's when you're spending money that you don't have in the moment and you need to borrow that money in order to make that spending. So it's pretty simple. And traditionally, that could be done through a credit card, through a loan, a mortgage, car finance. Now we have this new area called Buy Now, Pay Later, super simple to access, really consumer friendly, very strong brands where consumers are choosing to check out using that, taking on debt. They're spending money that they don't have in the moment and choosing to use that money to get a purchase that they want. Now, that can be smoothing of payments over two or three or four payments over weeks or months, but it's really the same principle. And the critical thing, I think, is that everybody who's making a decision to spend money on things that they want now but don't have the money for should be choosing the finance that they take in a very responsible way and the lender 
should be making a responsible decision. Can that user actually afford that? How much debt do they have? Should they really be lent that money at that point of sale? And one of the really important things is, is that I think everybody, whether you think of debt as bad and buy now, pay later as good, credit cards as bad and but Klarna as good, everybody should be making decisions based on a standard set of information. And so if, they, if we did that, I think consumers wouldn't think about one thing as good and one thing as bad. They would think that, about them as different choices to fund the things that they want. And I think that would be a good world to be in. That's fantastic. So now our team captains are going to start off by giving a 30 second summary of what they think on the topic. Uh, they're chomping at the bit here. So Simon, for Team Love, you're first up. 30 seconds starts now. Debt is opportunity. Opportunity to grow a business, opportunity for try something out before you buy it. Uh, anybody who's bought clothes or something perishable from an e-commerce store, how will you get it back to them? Will they really honor that purchase? Uh, by shifting the responsibility, what you really do is ensure that the, uh, the merchant and the lender is going to be covering your back in a way that a credit card was much harder to do, took a lot longer, and maybe you never end up with the stuff you really wanted in the first place. Ah, God, you had a couple of seconds to spare there. Fantastic. So thank you, Simon. Now we go on to David for Team Hate. 30 seconds, starting now. I mean, debt is pretty simple. I think like Justin says, I, I think actually debt is something that people kind of understand, but it, this doesn't feel like debt to people. And I think that really is where the problem is. If people were buying a sofa and it's a considered purchase, it feels like debt. I think when it's a pair of shoes, do people really understand that actually they're getting into debt for these things and the potential impact that that has on much broader lending opportunities for houses and much more significant things. Um, I think it, this is trivializing debt. And we're out of time. But thank you very much. That was great. <laughs> thank you so much, David. We're going to go now to our teams. Um, I'll hand the first words to Ali Patterson for Team Love. After that, the floor is open and David, you can carry on. <laughs> Thanks very much. Absolutely. Debt allows you to time travel and really kind of bank on yourself in the future. It's almost borrowing again against yourself in the future, which is kind of a way I like to, I like to look at it. The rich man's shoes is what this sort of debt allows you to have. It allows you to buy something that's built to last, that can last, that can want, as opposed to having to get something cheap every year and having the opportunity of things like buy now, pay later allows you to buy something that's going to be a lot more valuable and a lot better value for money, especially with 0%. Thank you, Clara. I mean, I think I, I, I can end alert as, as a... A sort of a collector of shoes, I can somewhat sort of buy into your argument of uh, the the sort of instant gratification of like buying a nice pair of shiny Nike Air Jordans. But but from from the 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 benefit of doing that is the the feeling of saving and the feeling of earning the things that you're doing. I think that instant gratification around these things and actually the to my point a second ago the the sort of trivialization of actually getting into debt and the consumerization of getting into debt uh, ahead of actually earning or bring about those things, I, I think is really where the problem is. I think to, to the points around, uh, you know, controls and, and, and options, I mean, Section 75 has been around for, for a really long period of time in terms of the Consumer Credit Act, in terms of where we need to go. I think it was like 70s or something, wasn't it, that this was introduced. So buying on credit card, buying on current accounts now actually is more protected than buying through buy now, pay later schemes in terms of the ways in which you would want to set those things up. Sharon, like, uh, I'm going to throw to you now because I know you've got lots of views on this one as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so in looking at statistics from Compare the Market, in the last 12 months, as many as 10 million people have used Buy Now, Pay Later, which is fine, but it's been between the ages of 25 to 34-year-olds. And their worry is that this age group in particular are essentially sleepwalking into financial problems. And nearly 40% of that group who have used these schemes in the past said that it damaged their credit score. And also missing a payment as well is visible to lenders on credit reports for six years. So yes, Ali, you might want those shoes today, but then if you you know don't have anything working out for you in the next few months and you miss those payments, then you might not be looking at a nice you know house potentially. And plus there is a difference between good debt and bad debt, even as a, as a person, let alone corporations with good debt and bad debt. And good debt means stuff like, you know, your student loans or your, you know, your car mortgage, stuff that's 
that's assets, you know, things that long term, how when you can buy an iPad later is right now. And you might regret the decision that you make because it's instant. And that's bad because you might not actually want it, yet you're accumulating all of these things for nothing, essentially, and, and hurting yourself too. There was also the fact that there still is quite a lot of credit card transactions. So although we are saying that, you know, there's a rise in buy now, pay there's also a rise in just normal standard credit card transactions too. The total spend of $13.8 billion, which is, you know, 1.2% less than July, but still quite high up, especially when you think about the, the level of unemployment rates as well that's going quite high um, considering coronavirus. So I, I think it's probably not the, the right time for for such a financial instrument, especially for young people today. So credit cards are a, a bigger enemy for me here because they consumers have paid down $10 billion in debt on the credit cards and, and since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and the credit card industry always had the 0% rate that you got. And, and then suddenly one day you're at 33 34%. And it encourages you with ever higher credit limits and ever higher credit limits. And uh, consumers really struggle to control that. Uh, revolving cycle of debt. And you saw this cycle of debt that became a real problem. The control you get with buy now, pay later is it's for that one specific set of things. And the visibility and the transparency about that is a real step change. I think the idea of it targeting the young is probably not borne out by the facts as well, because you've got the average age of, of many of the users being 33, 34 years old, and the average user being in the prime segment, not the subprime segment. So what people are saying is, oh, well, you're targeting the young, but the data doesn't say that that's true at all. Actually, you've got early adopters who use e-commerce a lot, which is a broad spectrum of people. And those people using e-commerce can't just go to their shop and you know, sort of say, hey, I want you to take this thing back. They've now got some additional protections in a way that credit cards always in theory gave, but in practice was very, very difficult. This is an upgrade. I, I think there's there's no way getting around it, though. I think the the commitment part is the critical piece, isn't it? You know, actually, I think when you look at credit cards, credit cards, you are uh, issued credit up front and a clear assessment about what you can afford is made. Actually, the credit card companies have got very, very good at doing this. Um, you know, it's like asking me at the end of the night if I want another drink. Like, hell yeah, I want another drink. Like, so actually on the pause terminals asking me, do I want to not pay for this, this, these pair of shoes now in Ali's situation or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, that, again, it just feels like it's it's dumbing down what the uh, the credit industry has actually brought a lot of intelligence to over the last decade or so. Uh, and I think we're almost running out of time. So I think we're going to move on to the next bit. So thank you very much for that. And I agree, a great, great time to break in terms of talking about drinking. You know, I think everybody on this right now might need a bit of a stiff drink to kind of uh, uh, keep us going on that. So, but it's time for the audience. Uh, so everyone in the audience, it's time for you now uh, to vote for which team you think presented the best argument. Put a thumbs up in the chat if you're voting there for team love and a thumbs down in the chat if you want to vote for team hate. So it's going to leave a little bit of a period there for voting. Thank you. Lots going on there. Lots of lots of thumbs up and thumbs down. So thank you. On to our next round while you continue to vote. Our next round, which is marketing. And what's that going to look like in the context of financial industries? So buy now, pay later providers are quickly becoming the staple of e-commerce. In some areas, such as brands, they're considered the saviour of UK retail. A survey from thisismoney.co.uk found that nearly one in five consumers said they wouldn't shop with a retailer who didn't offer some sort of buy now, pay later scheme. However, these schemes have been accused on numerous occasions of marketing that targets a younger and less financially literate audience despite their claims that the largest user group is 33 years of age. So as with all financial products, it's important to tell your users what they're getting themselves into, how it can impact their financial lives going forward, and also how do you display these complicated terms and conditions to an audience that isn't necessarily financially astute. First, we're going to hear from industry players on what their views are on marketing. So first up, supporting Team Love, we have Alex Marsh, Country Lead for Klarna UK. So when I think about good marketing, there are three parts that I will look for. It needs to be transparent, it needs to be responsible, and also it needs to be engaging. And we start with being transparent. It's crucial that, un that consumers understand in a straightforward way the key terms of the product they're signing up to. That's both the benefits and also the risks. 
And when I think about current regulated products such as credit cards, often they're deluged with information and they don't even know the basics of the product, such as what the APR is. So for us, it's really important that consumers understand the key terms in an easy to understand way, and they understand also the consequences if they're unable to pay on time. Will they incur interest? Will they incur fees? With Klarna, the great news is they won't. Second area is being responsible in your marketing. So two aspects to that for us. The first part is responsibly promoting and using our payment methods. But the other part is we work in the retail sector is ensuring that consumers spend responsibly. And when I focus in on spending responsibly, that's an area where we've invested heavily over the past year. So we've invested in a campaign called Klarna Sense, specifically focused on targeting uh, consumers to reduce impulse spending. And looking ahead to 2021, we're committed to investing over 50% of our marketing spend on financial education and wellness. And then the last area is ensuring that we're engaging. So we have a pink brand, we're proud of our brand, and we're proud of our distinctive marketing that we use. We believe that you can be both transparent and responsible in your marketing, but also engaging. And I think about traditional banks, consumers do not trust traditional banks. They do not trust traditional products such as credit cards. And so we want to be different to those. So for us, it's being transparent, it's being responsible, and it's being engaging. Wow, I mean, very, very, very forceful last line there. Uh, next up, supporting Team Hate, we have Justin Bassini, co-founder and CEO of ClearSchool. So good marketing in financial services is similar to any marketing anywhere, right? What is the benefit for the consumer? How do you engage that consumer? How do you get them excited and to understand your product? Now, in financial services, there's an important other aspect of marketing, which is, are you displaying the information so that consumers can make good decisions when they choose to interact with your brand or use your product, and that they really understand what they are taking on, what they are buying at that point? Financial services products, very complicated generally to understand. And so really making sure that consumers understand that is is a really important part of making the product work. Now, in fi traditional financial services, we have regulators that the FCA that force credit card and loan companies to disclose various aspects of the way the product works. And that creates a uh, tax on those products. Now, buy now, pay later is not subject to that. Now, what I think happens is the big buy now, pay later players invest in brand marketing so that they can create a halo of trust around their brand to make it really pop at that point of sale. My contention would be that we should ensure that there is a level playing field so that the core information that a consumer needs to make a credit decision, whether that's at the point of purchase or in an application for a credit card, is fair and the same across the industry. Well, there you go. Couldn't get clearer than that. So now our team captains are going to start off by giving a 30 second summary of what they think on this topic. Simon for Team Love, you're up first. Your 30 seconds starts now. Level playing fields in how we describe financial products to consumers are actually usually a bad thing. It means we bamboozle them with things like APR. Uh, we saw this with the overdrafts review. And what happens is the consumers end up in a worse place than they are now. We also insist that people use the same data from the same credit rating agencies as the 1970s. That is not an improvement. We're missing an opportunity to make uh, debt and finance better for consumers. Uh, we need to not normalize things. We need to make them better. And everybody wants to do that. Thank you very much. Bang on. Thank you, Simon. Now we go on to David for Team Hate. 30 seconds starts now. I mean, the 1970s were pretty great, to be honest with you. John Lennon was still alive. My mum and dad were thinking about having me. Like, all of these things were like, it was a world of opportunities ahead of us. I mean, I, I do agree with Klarna that people don't agree or trust credit cards, but that doesn't mean we throw out all of the opportunities and regulations that go with it. Financial services promotions regulation is there to protect consumers. And this product sits between the gaps between loans and credit cards. And right now is just not being regulated in a way that actually allows us to buy what we think we're buying. Thank you very much. And also, thank you very much for the image about your inception. Thank you. That's something that's going to scar us for months and years ahead. <laughs> thank you, David. We're now going to our teams. I'll hand the first word to Ali Patterson for Team Love. After that, the floor will be open. 
I think the credit cards that back it well, still today have that little disclaimer right at the end that says representative APR 32,000% or whatever the crazy thing it is. That's what's great about buy now, pay later is you're actually then connected to an actual, an actual product itself. Whereas with a credit card, that can be spread across, hey, I'm going to put some of my, my power bill on this. I'm going to put some of my Christmas gifts on this. It allows you to, in your head, connect it to a specific product as opposed to something like a credit card, which can be going for everything. Uh, especially because you can actually withdraw cash from credit cards as well, which a lot of people started to do around the financial crisis, which we want to kind of avoid. Um, and as to what David said about the 1970s, I think no, no one's arguing for the way that the credit scoring is done, where there's, I think, about four or five different fields. We want to stay away from that and now have a continuous Jeff Bezos style AI flywheel spinning and spinning and spinning and getting that that understanding of a customer and what they what they should be get to them. Yeah. Oh, anyone want to jump in? Um, I, I think it's a I think it's an interesting one because while um, while I think there is a lot to be said for supporting customers' needs, I think actually in, in many instances, I'm not sure in the marketing sense, people are buying to a product that they know what they want. So with a credit card, that is a considered purchase through the marketing of it, and that Infinity APR percent that you at least you know you're signing up to that Infinity APR. View, do you? Right? But do you, do you think you're actually getting a 0% and then suddenly it flips on you and then wait and then this is my bill and then this is my bill and then this is my bill and you don't really see that that flip happened. It's that like teaser rate. Get them in early. But it, but it, it might be slightly drug dealy and I don't disagree. I've gone from my inception to marijuana sort of consequences in drug dealing <laughs> here, haven't I? I'm not sure I'm playing to the crowd at this stage. But definitely there is a, with credit cards, there is a sort of a teaser, get them in and get them moving through the sky cycle. But actually with buy now, pay later, the idea that it is completely interest free is a complete fabrication because you're being enticed to spend more money that you don't have, else you would just buy it straight out with using the Consumer Credit Act and protecting yourself in that way. Um, or you're in a situation where you're blindly unaware that if you don't stick to the very regimented view of the payments, that you're then going to be uh, chased into the, the the sort of realms of, of hell when it comes to your your credit pieces. So, you know, being in a situation where your credit rating can be fundamentally impacted by buying a pair of shoes, like just doesn't seem to be sensible in any way, shape or form. What, I mean, Sharon, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, add to that, also the details and the barriers. So all of that within the marketing stage is essentially trying to get you to the point of sale at the checkout. Because after that, well, it's just going to be on on you, the consumer, the person who made that purchase. Otherwise, you know, if you forget that, oh, oh man, I, I actually do need fourteen ninety nine per month in this account in order to make sure I pay off this coat, you know, within four months, or else it's it's now within my own credit score. I think that is a bit of an issue because it does not say that disclaimers don't show you about you know how bad it is as part of its advertising. And that's obvious because they want people to use it. But not only that, it's the people that they choose in order to sell these products. It's the influencers, these brand ambassadors, people who are on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram. These are targeting the younger audience and an audience who might not actually be that fluid in terms of what's going on with the financial services sector and what these products mean. These aren't your you know, Gen Xs who are on these platforms, especially with TikTok and Klarna um, brand ambassadors. These are young kids who might not fully appreciate what's going to go on if they don't actually make that payment, especially now when there's not a lot of side jobs that you can be doing. So I, I think that's mainly what it is, is how hard it is to understand especially when you're so young and it's being targeted to you. Yeah. I mean, it, it is interesting. I mean, I will predominantly do whatever Snoop Dogg tells me to do. But uh, in the landscape of getting into debt, not, not so much. I'm just eating a lot, but getting into debt, not so much. I, I think, though, Ali, there's, there's <laughs> definitely something to be said for we we tend to make fun of the poor consumer who doesn't know what they're doing. But actually, if I speak to most people in their early 20s, they're spreading these payments because they want the stuff and they're actually very informed. So let's not not insult, throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are people that are using this product intentionally, Ali. I mean, financial education at schools is probably, I mean, it's not great today, but God, can you imagine what that what was like in the 60s and the 70s? It, it just wasn't what it is today. 
I think it, it came with a carton of cigarettes and some alcohol, I think, in the, the 1960s. But but I, I mean, I, I contest that point. I, I don't think regulation around marketing is made for the people who are savvy. It's made for the people who are not savvy and therefore need protecting. And that's really, I think, what me and Sharon are, are pushing for is more legislation around marketing to protect those even if they are a minority and they are few in, in the group, the people who truly need to be protected in this space. And if we do that, let's make sure it's not more legalese. Because actually my fear with regulation is what you'll end up with is, is legalese that people understand less than a product that is actually can be used in their interests when done properly. And what the marketing has proven so far is they're very, very effective at marketing. Let's take those brains and do it better. And maybe just regulation, leaving it to the regulators is not the best outcome here. I was, well, I was going to say as a, as a closing point, I think on the regulator side of things, is it's really interesting because this hasn't been on the agenda of the regulators or governments for, for really interesting reasons. I mean, we've, we've got hugely innovative companies using new age marketing techniques where the regulators and the governments are just not affected by it. I mean, there's I, I can't imagine, uh, you know, the, the CEO, the FCA's getting repeatedly hit up for his retargeting for some sneakers that he wants looked at on the on Instagram. You know, I mean, it's just just very unlikely to be happening. So I think that blind spot is is important to understand. Okay, I gave you a bit of extra time there just because I did interrupt you. So well done there. Um, and that was a very good point. And what I was going to say was, um, it sounded like everybody was agreeing on a point. So it's obviously clearly time to move on, because it sounded like you're all agreeing around the wording and the legalese and you know that we need to we need to make sure that everything is made simpler rather than more complicated for the end consumer so this is now the time when audience it's time for you uh, it's time for you to vote on which team you think presented the best argument put a thumbs up in the chat if you're voting for team love and a thumbs down in the chat if you want to vote for team hate let you have a bit of time voting and while you do i'm going to start moving on to say thank you onto our next round which is the battle of the checkout and what the pros and cons are to the automated checkout provided by buy now, pay later providers. So all companies build value differently and they all try to find a way to stand out. Buy now, pay later providers build value by focusing on one very prominent area and that's the checkout. Many, many of them present themselves as a shopping website rather than a fintech and customers can browse by category before redirecting to a merchant's page. When being redirected, the buy now pay later provider in question is often selected as the default payment option, but this doesn't go for all providers. So while this offers a smoother shopping experience for the customer, the easy automated checkout process also eliminates many consumer dropouts at the time of payment. So in this round, we're gonna debate this whole checkout experience on whether or not a like a smooth card-free checkout experience is the best outcome or not for the customer. First up, we're going to hear from the industry experts about what their view is on the matter. First up, we have Alex Marsh, country lead for Klarna UK. So consumers have long been wanting and in fact are now demanding a convenient and smooth checkout experience ever since the advent of the patented Amazon one-click payment. Consumers are fed up with inputting their personal details twice, sometimes even three times in the checkout, especially in the situation where they're a returning customer. Our goal at Klarna is to deliver the best possible experience, which means ensuring a smooth and frictionless checkout that can compete with car payment, but with full awareness of the payment method terms for consumers when they're signing up. Now, we're constantly listening and learning from our customers. And there are actually two recent examples where we've actually added friction into the checkout process. And let me explain why. So firstly, Klarna is no longer the default payment method for new consumers uh, in the checkout. So they are consciously selecting Klarna as their preferred payment method. Secondly, we've actually added stronger wording into the application flow to ensure that consumers understand the eligibility requirements and the consequences of non-payment for full transparency. So ultimately, consumers want a convenient and integrated experience. And for us, it's about managing the friction in the checkout to ensure that it's only there to improve both the customer experience, but also to ensure that we are delivering great outcomes. Great, next up, we have Justin Bassini, co-founder and CEO of ClearScore. Well, there's no doubt that um, the ease of checkout for a buy now, pay later point of sale credit is really, you know, a fantastic innovation. Um, but what it means is that consumers are 
choosing to use that form of finance when maybe they don't understand fully what they're signing up to. A traditional lender, like a credit card or a loan provider, is under a huge amount of rules from the regulator to assess things like affordability. And credit scoring and reporting is there, together with checking of bank accounts, to ensure that lenders don't lend money to people who can't afford it. That's a critical part of a lending decision, and the regulator makes sure that that happens. And when it doesn't happen, the user can complain, they can complain to the FCA, they can complain to the financial ombudsman, and they can have redress around that decision. Buy now, pay later is subject to none of that. And so is it ethical to allow somebody to choose a form of finance, to choose a form of debt without that checking, without that clarity? I'm not sure that that is sustainable. And I think ultimately it would be a better market if users understood the benefits and disadvantages of credit cards, of loans, of buy now, pay later, so that they're making more informed decisions. And as long as they're making informed decisions, I'm all for choice. I'm all for competition. And all of the innovations that we've talked about, whether that was credit cards back in the day or whether it's buy now, pay later, give consumers better choices. That's great as long as consumers really understand what they're buying. Now, our team captains are going to start off by giving a 30 second summary of what they think on this topic. Simon, for Team Love, you're first up. Your 30 seconds start now. Checkout is something that uh, where incentives matter. Uh, of course, merchants want you to buy more stuff from them. That's their business. Um, but actually, buy now, pay later providers want you to pay back, unlike credit card providers that would prefer that you don't pay back and fall into arrears and fees. The most profitable customer for a buy now, pay later provider is somebody who pays back on time uh, and somebody who makes repeat purchases. Uh, they make their money from the merchants. Incentives matter. Thanks very much. David? team hate your 30 seconds starts now. So I, th I think the thing that that is missing is the way that the fundamental business model is made. The fundamental business model of buy now pay later is to make you spend more. So they can give you interest free credit because you are paying more for the things that you're actually doing in the first place. So this is spending more than you expected to do, spending more than you would have wanted to. It feels very drug diggery. It's like at that point of checkout, it's like, hey kids, like, would you like to see a puppy? Like that's just not acceptable in today's age in terms of what we expect to see financial services to be doing. All right, thanks very much. I might expect to see some puppies jumping up in your background to try and encourage people to vote for you. So, uh, we're going to now hand over the first word. We're going to open this up to the teams and hand over the first word to Ali Patterson for Team Love. And after that, the floor will be open. Well, I'm a uh, very big fan of the uh, musical Hamilton. And there's a line in that which is, the greater the debt, the greater the credit. The more times that you're able to take out that debt and then pay it back, the more your credit rating goes up. Uh, to, to David's point there about it being drug dealery. But just to focus on the checkout, retailers have it rough, man. I mean, retailers and e-tailers, you're, you're fighting Amazon. So any opportunity to remove that friction, and that friction may be, I don't know, don't give the customer, you have to pay this right away. They can pay that back in their own time. Give them that option at the checkout. It just takes another bit of friction and gives them uh, another chance, another little, little bit of little of a nudge in the fight uh, against the likes of giants like Amazon. Uh, I mean, I, I, I can get with what you're saying. And, and actually, even in the odds is, is really good. I mean, a uh, big fan of Hamilton as well. Love the Peggy character. Very underloved. Uh, I mean, US debt is 27 trillion. Let's kind of put that into perspective in terms of actually what we're sort of looking at right now, right? Consumerization of a not just an industry, but a nation has et itself. You know, 27 trillion, that is debt that is never going to be paid back. And actually, very similar to many people that are actually sort of voyaging into this area, they are never going to pay back this debt. They are never really clear that actually the thing that they're stepping into is debt. And actually, Sharon, to the points that you made earlier on, I'm not sure many people can really save their way out of that cycle once they've got into it, given the, the impact that that will fundamentally actually have on their credit history as well. 
Yeah, I think that's the main point, though, here is pretty much how you can go into just shopping and that checkout option, encouraging a more expensive coat, knowing that you have that option at the checkout is what's really wrong here because people don't fully appreciate the level of of debt that they can accumulate if something goes wrong. We are living in precarious times where job security and job safety is not guaranteed. Hence why this is actually a contentious issue at the moment, more so than probably any other time, just because of how much, A, global debt there is, and, you know, our nation as well, and B, with actual consumers, as David was saying, you know, the the debt is, is rising and growing up. So by then using a buy now, pay later option, it's not going to help you try and clear that debt. In fact, Capital One just last week as well decided to put the transactions on hold and deem them an unacceptable risk as it sees consumers who are using their Capital One credit card to clear their buy now, pay later debt. Just because you decided at the checkout point, you know, I'm going to opt for that more expensive reset because I can do it this month, but you don't know what's going to happen next month. You know, and it's led to many consumers falling into debt without realizing it. And it's also led to the Woolard Review in the UK. So they are investigating credit providers like Klarna. And maybe we might see what happens next year. Perhaps there will be a little bit more um, regulation, especially when it reaches that checkpoint. It's interesting, though, that a, a credit card provider who has really sort of distinguished itself on its ability to give credit to subprime has now come out high and mighty and sort of said, oh, wait, hang on a minute. Um, we're, we're fine with people not using buy now, pay later. These credit cards, these are these have been around for a while. This type of problem debt is fine. That type of debt over there that actually merchants pay more for and can be more consumer centric, that's bad consumer debt. I think the 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 sort of mor- moralistic nature of that's really dangerous sometimes because credit cards have been encouraging people to spend money that they didn't have for a long time. Consumers have been spending money that they didn't have for a long time. Merchants have been trying to convince people to spend money that they didn't have for a long time. The systemic issue there, though, is about control versus convenience. And actually having the same button at checkout that allows me to see all of my purchases and how much I've still got left to pay on them, regardless of where I check out, is really good in terms of control and really good in terms of convenience, isn't it, Ali? Absolutely. absolutely. But I also want to weigh in there around it's not just about consumers, it's also about small businesses. Uh, that, that, that checkout moment for do you want to buy now, pay later can apply to small businesses. The other day, um, I upgraded our email campaign software. I'm not going to pay anything extra for six months, but I'm going to see the benefit in the ROI straight away. So having that, I wasn't even going to do it if it wasn't for that option at the checkout. So having that option there for small businesses where there's a slightly different regulation can also, uh, well, that can also filter through then onto the consumer side. I mean, I think uh, I think on an opportunity from an SME perspective is very different from a retail perspective. Uh, my upside of buying those shoes is I look fancy. It's not about actually being in a situation where I'm actually being in a situation, you know, improving my business. And I fully support the idea that SMEs can invest ahead to ensure that actually the success of their businesses is more assured or on greater foundings. Um, but I think when it comes back to People at checkout have already made a decision ahead of going to that checkout to buy that product. And what you're trying to do is upsell them into debt. You're you're trying to not just increase the basket size. You're trying to get them into the idea that you can limit the already uh, important decision that they've made to buy that product into one where they don't have to feel the the pain of it, the pain of that cash leaving their, their bank account, which for me just feels a it feels predatory. Who's they, David? Is that the poor little retailer that's trying to get as much business happening at the moment? But And, you know, partnering with the likes of Klarna and such gives them that opportunity to take that friction away. Give, give them a chance. Give them a chance. If, if they've already decided to buy it and they could spread out those payments, why wouldn't they take the option to do that? Especially if they pay on time, they get it for 0%. It's cash flow management. All right, fine. Well, we run out there and also running out of time, I think, uh, in general. So let's try and keep this going. So now it's time for you, the audience, uh, to tell us what you think. So put a thumbs up in the chat if you're voting for Team Love and put a thumbs down in the chat if you want to vote for Team Hate. Oh, wow. There's a bit of oh, marketing here. Goodness. Bit of checkout pressure right going on right now. Thank <laughs> you. Now on to our final round. Fire round. In this round, the team captains will get three words that they have to reply love or hate to. And again, I emphasize the word love or hate. No explanation. Let's just go mm-hmm. for it. So first up, we have Simon Taylor. You ready for this? First, first word, credit cards. Hate. 
Um, hard credit checks. Hate. Oh, no, uh, no, no drama. Love. Okay, great. Uh, and secondly, we have David. So David, you ready for it? Waiting for refunds. Love or hate? Hate. Soft credit checks. Hate. Ah, try before you buy. Love. Yeah, love. Okay. I think that was very telling. So audience, it's now your time to decide which of the teams made the best argument from all of the rounds. Put a thumbs up in the chat if it was team love and a thumbs down in the chat if you think team hate did the better job. Amazing. Thank you everyone for voting from your votes. We can see it was really close. Great. Well done, everybody. The winning team is drum roll, drum roll, drum roll. Hate. Congratulations, Sharon. Yay! For now, I'm going to hand back to David to close the show. But well done, everybody. Very good. Uh, thank you very much, Gemma. And thank you very much, everybody. I feel Sharon, myself and you should just, I think, eat up the next 20 minutes of air just being smug, quite frankly. I feel, I feel like that would be the best, use, <laughs> the best use of everybody's time. But, uh, but congratulations. Well done. Uh, we'll definitely have to do this again, I think. Uh, I'm, and, and that's not just because uh, because I won or we won. All right. You know, uh, well done, Simon. Well done, Ali. I think you guys have done a, a great job on it. Uh, but that does wrap up our second Digital Fintech Insider After Dark. Um, let's see what happens next year with COVID to, to see whether we sort of carry on with these things. Uh, but thank you so much for everybody for joining us. Uh, we hope you guys join us and carry on the conversation afterwards in the breakout sessions. Uh, thank you so much to all of the guests. Uh, where can people find out a little bit more about you? Sharon. All right. So you can find me at Fintech Kits on Twitter and you can just Google me and you can probably see my LinkedIn that probably comes up the first thing. And why not just send me a request, no mutuals. It happens all the time. That's <laughs> fine. I'm cool with it. She wants those LinkedIn <laughs> congratulations on the success it was all down to your hard work like connections like that's what we want right uh ali thank you very much for joining us where can people find out more about you um like sham linkedin twitter um we're all in tier three now so there's gonna be no meeting up face to face which is a real shame uh but yeah i'm to be at, uh, at ali patterson very good and the host absolutely with the most Gemma. where can people find out a little bit more about you Across social media, it's at GC Godfrey. I've maxed out my connections on LinkedIn, but follow me so you can message me and, uh, yeah, and we can stay in touch. Very good. And uh, Mr. Simon Taylor, the, uh, I mean, always very sort of magnanimous in, in defeat uh, in this instance, but uh, I'm sure you'll get me next time, right? So where can people find out a little bit more about you? Uh, generally trying to get back at David in some way, shape or form on LinkedIn, uh, at Taylor on Twitter or at elevenfest.com. Very good. And as for me, you can find me at at Smug on Twitter. No, mm -hmm. at David Breer on Twitter. So uh, <laughs> thank you so much to everybody for joining us today. Thank you so much to the 11FS Media and Marketing team for putting on the event today. Uh, if you want to stay up to date with all of the content, uh, follow us over on at Infintech Insiders uh, on Twitter, 11FS at YouTube. I mean, pretty much every social media channel at this stage. Uh, we hope to be back with you guys uh, for more future events. Thanks again. Good night.